Good morning. I want to make you guys aware of something that's usually around you, but I want to restate the fact that it is around you. On the seat that you sat on is a registration card. Um, Registration card sounds very sterile and formal. It's not what it is, really. It's a card that we want you to look at to do communication with us. If you want to give us some information or if you want to tell us about who you are as a visitor, we'd like to connect with you. But more than that, if you have something you would like the elders to pray over you about, that's a great device, a great tool for that. So uh, that's around you. Um, has, uh, has anybody ever seen the movie Million Dollar Baby? A lot of you probably have. Uh, it's an older movie. I, I, older, I mean, it's, I don't know, seven or eight, nine, ten years old, something like that, whatever. Um, my wife and I are actually in the middle of, of vacation at this point right now. Uh, I drove here from like a condo we're staying in about an hour away this morning. And so we're concluding our night just sitting together watching a movie. Last night for the first time we watched a movie called Million Dollar Baby. Um, like Academy Awards, Clint Eastwood, Morgan Freeman, whatever. Uh, the story is um, this girl is a boxer and she wants to be trained by Clint Eastwood in his character and he doesn't train girls and so they like there's the first 20 minutes of them kind of wrestling about that and whatever. And so she proves herself to be worthy and he agrees to train her. And like her dad died and he's got this really strained relationship with her mom when she's from the, the middle of nowhere. And so she's got a lot of daddy issues and a lot of mommy issues. And those things kind of wrestle through that. And then uh, Clint Eastwood is estranged from his daughter. And throughout the movie, you see glimpses. He writes a letter to his daughter every week, and he visits his priest. He goes to church every, every, every day, not every Sunday, every day. He goes to church every, every day, and he's talking to his priest, and, and a lot of it's about his daughter, and this strange relationship that, that he has with his daughter. And so Clint Eastwood has this, these daughter issues, and uh, she has these daddy issues. And so they kind of come together, and this bond sort of forms, and so they sort of fill out each other's missing pieces. But ultimately, as the movie progresses, they, they begin to think about failure and, and this need for redemption and this desperate need for forgiveness. And that's the, this letter that Clint Eastwood writes to his daughter every week that always gets returned to sender, always gets sent back. Always, always, always. He's written her like for 10 years in a row. And, and so 520 letters get returned to sender. And they're all about his desperate need for forgiveness and redemption and, and the bad dad that he was and this estrangement that they, they currently experience, right? So that's what this movie is about. If I would have said to you a minute ago, who's seen Million Dollar Baby? If you, you raise your hand, I say, what this movie, what's that movie about? A lot of you would say, boxing. It's not about boxing. It's about all that interpersonal, relational difficulty, hardship, brokenness, redemption. That's what the movie is about. It's in the context of boxing. All right? So as we proceed this morning, we're going to hear from Scripture about the relationship that we have with God and with each other and the brokenness that's there and the hardship that's there and our desperate need for redemption and forgiveness that's there. And our failures in the midst of of our relationships. 
That's what this, this message is about. That's what Ephesians 5 is about. The context of the real story is marriage. So I, I don't want us to miss that as we start off here. That this sermon is not about marriage. The context is marriage. It's about our brokenness and our desperate need for forgiveness and redemption and how we can relate to one another. You, you, you connect in there? That's where we are and, and where we're going. Uh, so let's pray and then we will we'll dig into it. God, I thank you for this morning. I thank you for this opportunity to proclaim your truth, God. Lord, I ask for forgiveness where I've failed as a pastor and as a husband, as a father. Lord, I pray that your gospel speak grace over those failures, Father. And I pray for those in this room your grace would speak over the failures of marriages and our pasts that have brought us to this place, God, the baggage that we carry. Your grace would be overcoming to that baggage and those difficulties and hardships and brokenness, God. You have clearly reminded us of this broken world, this evil world this week, God. Lord, I pray that you would remind us as we walk through the context of marriage, Father. Remind us of your gospel and your grace and your peace that you want to give to us. God, open us up that we might be recipients of that grace. It's in Christ's name. Amen. It struck me as we were singing Amazing Grace, one of the, the last verse we sung, we don't, a lot of times you don't hear that verse in when Amazing Grace is sung. One of the lyrics is, he will be, he will my shield and portion be. He will my shield and portion be. That Our protector and our provider, that is who God is to us. And now my mind is, is, is aware of the direction that we're going this morning. And that is, that is the prayer that we would, that for us, that we would sense as we proceed this morning. That we would look to God as our shield and portion. Uh, I want to do a little, little background. This is the third and, and final message in this little mini-series here. The first week we talked about, um, we went to Genesis 1 and 2 and 3, and we found that there's a God-placed longing of our hearts to be naked and unashamed before our spouse and before God. Right? There's a, there's a God-placed longing of our hearts to be naked and unashamed. By that, we just mean nothing between us. We are completely vulnerable completely known and completely comfortable with that. There's a longing in our hearts for that. But the obstacle of the fall has placed fear 
and shame and blame and distance and evil and all those things have come into the world and come into our relationships. And this week, it's really simple. To, to, you don't have to turn on any news channel and you know exactly the evil that is present in our world and the brokenness. And just the, the purposes that you and I were created for have been thwarted. And there's brokenness everywhere. Week two, we heard, we talked about there is a command in Ephesians 5 for us to live by the Spirit and to submit to one another out of reverence for Christ. I said that probably 30 times last week, submitting to one another out of reverence for Christ. We're going to talk about roles of marriage today, the husband's role, the, the wife's role, and all those things, and we're going to relate that to, to, to life, and we're going to relate that to, to the cross and the, and the church and all those things. But we need to, to go back and understand what we've talked about in the first part of Ephesians 5, and that's submitting to one another out of reverence for Christ. All that comes today is a flow from that. We talked last week about the bookshelf. Those of you here remember that, that a bookend is, is butted up to, to a shelf where all the books are standing, and if you take the bookend out, all the books fall. So the, the book that's closest to the bookend is the sturdy one, and the book that's next to that is relying upon it. It just falls down. And so all these roles, everything, the husband's role, the wife's role, the gospel that's present here is dependent upon this submitting to one another out of reverence for Christ. And that idea of out of reverence for Christ simply means just because of what God has done to us, for us, we rise to our roles. That's out of reverence for Christ. So we submit to one another because Christ first submitted to us. And that's, that doesn't make sense. Christ submitting to us, when we understand the language, this word hupotasso that we talked about last week, submitting, it's, it's a compound word. It just means arranging in the order underneath. All right? And not just arranging in some haphazard order, but the correct order. When we alphabetize a, a filing system, the B's go bef- behind the A's. The B's hupotasso to the A's, placing under, because that's the order that it's supposed to go in. All right? And so we submit to one another because Christ first did that to us. We hupotasso to one another because Christ first willingly placed himself under us. And we'll talk about that more in a bit. And again, none of what we'll say today, when I say wives submit to your husbands, and I say husbands Lay down your lives for your wives. None of that is present in a vacuum. All of that is dependent upon this idea of life by the Spirit and submitting to one another out of reverence for Christ. So that's sort of, imagine a a frame here. This is sort of, the, the left frame is this sort of submitting and surrendering portion. And then the other side of the frame is this. Go with me to the end of what we'll talk about this morning, the end of Ephesians 5. Ephesians 5.32 says, This mystery is profound, and I'm saying that it refers to Christ and the church. This word mystery is the Greek word mysterion, a hidden and secret thing. It's a hidden and secret thing. It appears lots of times in the book of Ephesians. First in Ephesians 1.9 it says, making known to us the mystery of his will. 
the secret hidden thing that is his will, according to his purpose, which he set forth in Christ Jesus. So this mystery is set forth in Christ. It also shows up in Ephesians 3, 3 through 4, where it says, how the mystery was made known to me by revelation. That is, Christ came and spoke to Paul this mystery, this hidden thing, as I have written briefly. When you read this, you can perceive my insight into the mystery of Christ. Let's do a little bit more work here on this word mystery, okay? It's not some super sleuth, hidden, secret handshake, secret decoder ring sort of mystery. That's not what it is. What it is, is Christ enlightening our hearts to something that is unknown to the world. All right? So let's, let's go back to Ephesians 5.32 and, and think here. This mystery is profound. Here's, here's a cool part I found this week. This word profound, this mystery is profound. That phrase, mystery is profound, is one Greek word. It's mega mysterion. All the other times where mysterion shows up in Scripture, it doesn't have the prefix, prefix mega on it. Do you guys need me to tell you, describe what mega means? So what this relationship of marriage, the intention of it, I don't know if it was God's prioritized intention to teach us about marriage. I don't know if where it, whatever it is, but the concept of marriage was designed by God to teach you about this mega mystery. And this mega mystery is Christ and the church. All right? And how we relate to each other. And, and here's, here's the deal. This is, this is the picture that I have. You guys ever watched, uh, like, late night on ESPN, you get these, like, lumberjack wars, whatever, like these competitions? Like, they're cutting these big, massive logs in, like, 45 seconds with just a blade and whatever. One of the events is they have this... this what amounts to like a telephone pole that's like 20 feet in the air, right? And they take this axe, and they're chopping it, part of the axe, and then they, they, they stick a, like a plank in there, and then they climb up to that plank, and they chop again, and they put a plank in there, and they climb up to the next one until they get to the very top, and they saw the top of that off. Have you ever seen this before? Am I talking like in... All right, some of you guys have seen it before. So basically, you're, you know, you're climbing a telephone pole by hacking into the side of it and then putting a the plank in there and then standing on that plank. So now you're standing here and hacking up here until you get to the top. All right? And here, this mega mystery is just like that. All right? God teaches us about the church and how we relate to Christ. Hacking away. Now we're standing on this plank. God, is, God has given us that. So then we have this understanding of how we relate to Christ and the church. And then God uses that platform, that plank, to teach us about marriage. Right? So now we're up at that plank. And God uses that plank to teach us more about his, our relationship, Christ and the church. And it's just a never-ending cycle. We continue to learn about marriage. We continue to learn about how we relate to Christ and how the church relates to Christ and how Christ relates to us through marriage and through our role. So that's the, the framework that we're on here. The beginning is this this idea of, of submitting and surrendering and hupatasso and, 
and connectivity to the Spirit. And the end is this understanding of how we relate to Christ. Do, do you see that? This is how, how beautiful, this is the mega mystery. That God created marriage in part to teach us about how we relate to him. And so, here is, there's a lot of single people here tonight, today. Here's a, a, a way for you to, to push forward. Go find a marriage that you respect, that you trust, that you believe is, is moving towards Christ, and get intimate there. Go to the husband. Say to him, talk to me about your role. Talk to me about how God showed you Christ in the church. Talk to me about that. Go to the wife. Go to both of them. Sit down and talk about it. There is so much to be learned. So much to be learned about what it means to lay down your life in a real practical way. To lay down your life for your spouse, for your bride. That teaches the heart so much about who Christ is and what he did. It's so vital for us. Single people, do that. That's, here I am, your pastor, telling you, go do that this week. Find a marriage. And, and here's, here's the, the unintended benefit of that. You will light that marriage up in a really good way. One, they will see God in them and two, they will articulate to you, in order to articulate to you, they've got to articulate to themselves. And they'll see something that's staring them in the face. They have no idea staring at, staring at them. And that's part of the, the purpose of this message this morning, is for us to kind of back up and see this beautiful thing, this mega mystery, this God standing and screaming to you, this is what I want you to know. I've given you your marriage so that you can know this. Pay attention to it. God wants to share this with you. It's a mega mystery. So let's get to the, let's get to the roles. Wives. Two things that he says to you in Ephesians 5. Let's just let's read, read these verses. Starting in verse 22. Wives, submit to your own husbands as to the Lord. For the husband is the head of the wife, even as Christ is the head of the church, his body, and is himself its Savior. Now as the church submits to Christ, so also wives should submit to their husbands in everything. Husbands, love your wives as Christ loved the church and gave himself up for her. Guys, I want you to just sit there and let's, let that wash over you. Husbands, love your wives as Christ loved the church and gave himself up for her. My prayer at the beginning of asking for forgiveness is, is that I'm... I and you are selfish, self-centered people. And this is not natural to us. 
Husbands, love your wives as Christ loved the church and gave himself up for her. That he might sanctify her, having cleansed her by washing of water with the word. Again, if you're single, get in, pay attention to a marriage. Watch this happen. Watch this practically happen. The whole context and and real story that's being played out is, is right here. This is what I'm talking about. This is in the context of marriage, but the real story here is Jesus Christ and his gospel. In the midst of your failure, in the midst of your hardship, in the midst of your difficulty, God is laying his life down for you, sanctifying you. This is the mega mystery. So that he might present the church to himself in splendor, without spot or wrinkle or any such thing, that she might be holy and without blemish. In the same way, husbands should love their wives as their own bodies. He who loves his wife loves himself. For no one ever hated his own flesh, but nourishes and cherishes it, just as Christ does the church. Because we are members of his body. And therefore, a man shall leave his father and mother and hold fast to his wife, the two shall become one flesh. This mystery is profound. And I'm saying that it refers to Christ and the church. Wives, your role. Submit to your husband as to the Lord. Again, this is a book on a bookshelf that's completely dependent upon the one to its right. It falls over. It does not stand on its own. It does not exist in a vacuum. You, in the context of your marriage, women, wives, in the context of your marriage, you are not being called to anything that your husband has not already been called to. One verse before, submit to one another out of reverence for Christ. That's a big general principle of our lives. Submit to one another out of reverence for Christ. Hupatasso, willingly place yourself under because that's what Jesus did. That's the command for all of us. But here in the context of marriage, God is calling you as a wife to willingly place yourself under your husband. And here's the, here's the difficulty, here's the dangerous ground. Because we live in a broken world, this For centuries, this idea has been abused and there's bullying, there's control, there's I'm stronger than you, there's hey listen to this. That's what's been brought into this text. But this text here, this language that Paul is using is gentle and beautiful and leads to life and leads to peace and leads to grace. It doesn't lead to bullies. It doesn't lead to control. It doesn't lead to strength. It's got nothing to do with any of those things. Women, when it calls you to submit to your husbands, it's, it's not a lord it over. It's not, men, how dare you tell your wife, you must submit to me. That's not your that's not you. Your role is coming in a minute. Get out of hers. 
just like women need to get out of his. But this is dangerous ground because it doesn't appear in a vacuum. The second thing he tells us to do, as the church submits to Christ, so also should wives submit to their husbands in everything. In everything. This is the direction. This is the push for you. Earlier, I want to bring another, uh, back in, in Genesis 2 when marriage was first created, God sees that Adam is alone and for the first time something is not good. And God says, I'll provide a suitable helper for you. And we talked about that in the, the first message here, about what this word helper means. And we think sometimes our broken culture has pushed it towards something that it's not meaning. Just like this, the, the first concept about lording something over or, or submitting to your, to your wife. This word helper does not mean an assistant. It doesn't mean less. It doesn't mean somebody that's, that is a lower class. It means this word azer. It, it's the, the Hebrew word here is, is azer. And it, it's, a, it's the same word used throughout all the Psalms for God. When, when David's writing his Psalms and, he, and he's, he's in distress, he's in turmoil, he calls out, God, would you be my azer? Would you be my helper? So this is the role that God has created the wife to be inside of the marriage, to be this God-delivered. And the, the idea is also in, in a military sense to, to send reinforcements to the front line. I want to give you a picture of this. Um, for about 18 months, I was still a youth pastor. For about 18 months, God began to talk to me about planting a church, to, to leave where I was and to go plant a church. And so I started to talk to a bunch of people that I knew about planting a church, and they said, you need to go connect with this organization. And so I went to Seattle. I, I left my job as, as a youth pastor and took some interim work to, to pay the bills. And so I've, I've lost health insurance, and I've, I've just completely uprooted my whole life to pursue this, this thing. Go to Seattle for this conference. The end of this conference is, is people who have planted churches before interviewing you after having read a bunch of your vision and theology and direction. And so that they read all those things and they come and interview you and then they say one of three things. Go plant the church, don't go plant the church, or wait to plant the church. They told me in Seattle, hundreds of miles away from, from my life, my family, they said, don't go plant a church. And I'm, I've just completely, what have I done? I've left a job. I've left insurance. I've left security. And now I'm in Seattle by myself, and these people tell me not to plant a church. God used a bunch of events in the, in the days following that. Most notably, he used my bride as my azer, as my, my help, as the reinforcements to the front line. To speak what he had already spoken to me. Wives, this is, this is your role. 
This is what God has created you for. This is the mega mystery. God is the azer in our life, and he has given us helpers to show us, I think that this is all about me. I think that this world is about me. I think that, oh man, I left this, this great job to go and plant the church, and now it's going to be a failure, and now it's all miserable, but God brought this wife to me to help me to continue to run in faith and to trust in who he is and all those things. I thought the movie was about me and North Church. That's the context. The movie is about surrender to who God is and trust in who he is and submitting myself to him out of reverence for Christ. That's the story. The contact is Azer, help, thank you, Jen, I love you. The story is, God, thank you for sending help to the front lines. And this is what God intends to teach us. This is why it's a mega mystery. We think it's about this context, but really God's teaching us a bigger, better story about surrender to him where true happiness lies. Because you know what? Yesterday, my wife and I were screaming at each other on vacation in a condo. I'm tired. She's tired. The kids are crazy. Ah! But the beautiful thing is that, that brokenness is all around us and enters into our marriage. But God responds with hope, with peace, with redemption, with forgiveness. And this is what we're talking about here. Don't get mixed up in the, the context of marriage and miss the story of the gospel. That's what God is, is yelling over you. That's why God created this word azer and put it into Genesis 2. I'm going to create for you this help. And not so that you can, your life can be better, but so you can know me better. That's the point. Don't miss it. Single people, that's the point. Don't miss it. Get connected in a marriage and beg of them to speak into you. Man, it's your turn. <clears throat> and here's where I'm going to start yelling at you. <clears throat> Husbands, your role is first as head. He calls you the head. And there is, again, we live in a broken world which tends to want to just distort and change what it means to be a head. And a head is, we're going to stand up and I'm going to be the man. I'm in charge here. No. It's not what head means. Scholars on both sides of the fence disagree with exactly what this means, but in my study of Scripture, here's, here's what head means. It's simply responsibility. It's not authority. It's not power. It's not strength. It's not might. It's not something to, to be lorded. It's responsibility. Here, here's, the, here's the example. Yesterday, I told them, you know, my wife and I were screaming at each other. Um, the hot water in our condo doesn't last very long. Jen hadn't had a hot shower yet. She goes back in. She, we're, we all come back from the pool. She's going to take a hot shower. Says to me, take the first hot shower of, of this vacation. Okay. I said, I'm, 
I'm really tired. I'd like to take a nap. Okay, take your nap. I'll take my shower. I go. She goes in the shower. She's been in there for a couple of minutes. And we walk in the front door, and I'm straight to the bed. Come out of the bed 20 minutes later, and Hannah Grace has filled up the tub with hot water. So Jen's 15, 12, 15-minute shower that's supposed to be warm is now about an eight-minute shower that immediately gets cold. And Mia is filling her face filled with Nestle Crunch Bars. <laughs> Cooper has, he, his responsibility was to take the wet towels from the pool and hang them over the back rail, you know, so they can dry out. All of that, his swim trunks included, and all these towels are laying in the middle of the floor. Pile of wetness, for, and it's been there for 15 minutes. And I'm asleep. My responsibility there is to get people in the direction, Hannah, wait till your mom's out of the shower to take your, to take your tubby. I just said tubby. <laughs> That's what we call them. Come on. <laughs> oh, gosh. Okay, this is important, so come back with me, please. Uh, can, you, can you wait? Cooper, make sure you put the towels on the, on the rail. Mia, get out of the chocolate. That's my responsibility, but where am I? I'm asleep. Do you see the metaphor? Headship is not about strength or might or power or authority. It's about responsibility. And where was I? Sleeping. My kids are going crazy. My wife is not being provided for. And I'm asleep. That's headship. Rise up, dude. Seriously. And here's the, here's the part about that that's beautiful. Love your, the second thing, love your wives as Christ loved the church and gave himself up for her. Imagine Christ, our head, falling asleep on his responsibility. Where are you in that scenario? You know what? Jesus in the garden, you know what? Nah. I'm just going to sleep here. It's not headship. That's 2012 male America. Nah, I'm just going to sleep here. Rise up. John 13 is in the middle of the Lord's Supper. Christ is about to die a few hours from, from this point. He's in the upper room. They're eating the Passover meal, this big celebration. Jesus, no other place in Scripture but here, talks about this in John. The Last Supper, God himself, Christ, stops in the middle of the meal and starts washing his disciples' feet. To paint a picture to them. He knows he's about to die. 
and he's serving them. And you guys have probably heard about, you know, how nasty feet are, and it's dusty, it's sandy, they're riding camels all the time, and sandals, and like, I made one mistake one time of, of coaching Cooper's baseball team a couple weeks ago, wearing flip-flops in the dusty, dirty, you know, we haven't had rain in forever, and so there's just dust everywhere, and like, seriously, there's caked on dust, like, mixed with sweat and nastiness from, like, mid-shin down. It's just gross. And get in the shower and, and wipe, wash that off. This is an everyday occurrence. But here's the, here's the difference here. We see that. We understand a, an ugly, nasty, dirty foot, right? But here, here's the other part of, of that piece, is that they were, the table in this age was probably about knee-high, and they were sitting so their feet are really close to the action. Having a meal with these dusty, nasty feet right up close. And here's Christ. In the middle of this great metaphor of, of a supper, a few minutes from now, he's going to say, this is my body broken for you. This is my blood shed for the forgiveness of your sins. And we're going to do that. I'm going to... Dave or I won, we'll talk about that, and we're setting up response time about this is my body broken for you, this is my blood shed for the forgiveness of your sins, and Christ is about to say that, but a few minutes before that, he literally washes their feet. This is headship. Men, this is your role. In the midst of hardship, in the midst of brokenness, in the midst of this wretched world, maybe even in the midst of her not submitting to you, Headship is your call. Christ is your example. Submit, surrender, do the dirty work. Philippians 2, 5 through 8. If you ever get confused, guys, about what you're supposed to do in marriage, if you ever get confused, study this, meditate this for about a month. Every day. Have this attitude in yourselves, which was also in Christ Jesus. This attitude word is so important. Don't think you know what attitude means. Attitude here just means completely unaffected by outside surroundings. I don't care what you do to me. This is how I'm going to be. I don't care if I'm tired. I don't care if I'm crabby. I don't care if I'm in a bad mood or a good mood. I don't care. My attitude is this. What you do to me, this is how I will respond. Whether you respond to me, whether you give to me good or give to me bad, my attitude is this. Verse 6. Who, although he existed in the form of God, did not regard equality with God a thing to be grasped. Guys, in case you're, you're wondering, this is your role. In case you're confused about how you should act in a marriage, this is your role. And again, go back to this mega mystery, this turning on itself, this teaching about Christ in the church, teaching about marriage, teaching about Christ in the church, teaching about marriage, all these things circling around one another, teaching us about the real story, not the context of the story. He existed as God. He had authority, but he laid it down. He didn't count equality with God a thing to be grasped, but instead... He emptied himself. He emptied himself. Man, would you do me a favor and meditate on that this week? What does it look like to empty yourself? 
even if you're not married, what does it look like to empty yourself and then write? Not only did he empty himself, but he also took the form of a bond servant. And being made in the likeness of men, being found in appearance as a man, he humbled himself by becoming obedient to the point of death, even death on a cross. This is your role. So vitally important to come to grips with this. And this is the, the mega mystery what the real story is about. Your marriage teaches you about this. Your marriage teaches you about, I don't want to lay my life down for my wife because I want to sit down on a sofa and I want to serve me today. Let this speak truth to you and how much God loves you that Christ never once lived there. That's the grace that he speaks over you as a failure as a, as a sinner, Christ speaks that over you. And then remind that of Ephesians 5.21, submitting to one another out of reverence for Christ. Because I know what I want and because I know what Christ did, let that inform me to go and surrender and to lay my life down. The last thing in a that Ephesians 5 tells us to do is to wash our wife with the word. This is so simple and probably the most effective way for you to live out your role. And it's really, really simple. Seminary, not required. Greek and Hebrew word studies, not required. You want to, here's, here's an example of what this just told you to do. Therefore, be imitators of God as beloved children and walk in love as Christ loved us and gave himself up for us, a fragrant offering of sacrifice to God. What Scripture just commands you to do is to read Scripture to your wife. Again, don't get lost in the context, but get lost in the real story. Christ is, is providing us with the Word. He's reading it over us. He's pouring it over us cleansing us, washing us, equipping us to get along in this world with his word. That's what we were created for. Last thing is the end of Ephesians 5, 31. Therefore, a man shall leave his father and mother and hold fast to his wife, and the two shall become one flesh. Therefore, a man shall leave his father and mother and be united with his wife, and the two shall become one flesh. We're almost done. Bear with me. This is the climax of where we're going. I've said this before. This leaving and united is, is, a, is a spiritual description of what's literally happening, a tearing away of flesh. And I've said it before. Imagine tearing my arm off. There's going to be a wound on my shoulder and a wound at the end of my arm, a bleeding wound. Blood would gush. And this idea of tearing away, this leaving your mother and father, is this, the spiritual picture is this ripping off of a, of a limb. And this 
spiritual picture of uniting with your wife is bringing together two arms that have been ripped off and bringing them together in this one flesh that's created is the Holy Spirit coming and sealing that. This word is the same conceptual word, the same root word as us being sealed with the Holy Spirit at our conversion. When we come to Christ, we are sealed with the Holy Spirit. Romans teaches us that over and over again. That seal is this uniting. You follow that? We're torn away and we're sealed together, united as one flesh. And so we see this picture of one flesh. And I go back to, we had a super summer like a month ago. You guys might remember I was there teaching for two weeks, uh, high school students, and, and each night we'd have this worship experience, and this one particular worship experience was, was beautiful. Like 30 kids came to Christ. Ridiculous. It was amazing. And, and they're all out getting, being counseled, and those that are left are like worship was thick. It was beautiful. It was a picture of heaven. And I felt disconnected, unengaged. And I talked to my, my buddy Matt we're, and my buddy Bill. We're, we're having a conversation about this later. But, you know, part of me wants to sense that that's, what's wrong with me, that I can't engage that fully. And we thought about this, this, this concept of one flesh. Jen was here. I was there. I was, that one flesh was apart physically apart. And, and my heart wants to rebel against that, to think that I can't worship without her. And there's some, there's some truth to that, but ultimately, this one flesh idea is, is true. It's there. Now bear with me here. This is the beautiful part. This is the context of marriage. The real story that this context is teaching us about, it's like Million Dollar Baby is not about boxing. It provides the setting to tell us the real story. The real story is God created you to be one flesh with him. That while we're here on this earth, we're separate. It's not perfect. It's not the way it's intended to be. Peter promises us an inheritance that can't perish, spoil, or fade. It's kept in heaven for us. This is where God is taking us. And he's used this beautiful thing called marriage to teach us that lesson. God intends you to be naked and unashamed before him. And he labors and suffers and brings pain into your marriage. And brings joy into your marriage. And brings separation into your marriage. Brings hardship. Brings kids into your marriage. Brings parents into your marriage. Brings poverty into your marriage. Brings baggage into your marriage. Brings daddy issues. Brings mommy issues. Brings all these issues into your marriage. To say to you, I'm sufficient. Trust me, I got a plan. It's a mega mystery, and I can't wait to share it all with you. This is the promise that's coming. This is the mega mystery. This is what 
sends us to worship. Let's pray and do that. God, I thank you for Jesus. I thank you for the gift of marriage. I thank you for the gift of the gospel. I thank you for my bride and how you've protected and provided for our marriage, God, even in the midst of my failure. Lord, I thank you for your son, Jesus. I thank you for the mega mystery. Thank you for the gospel. It's in Christ's perfect name.